my advice to a stranger or one of your listeners even is to just is to be patient, is to really know your craft, really seek out great operators and quality people. Write letters, bang on doors, and get in with them and learn from them. It's an education that's free because you're learning from their experiences. You're always going to be learning. You're always going to have pluses and minuses, but to be patient and to really take your time to really work on your skills. Welcome to The Profitable Table, fed by Wilco Foods, the nation's first podcast devoted to the restaurant industry. Now, here's your host, Wilco Foods CEO, Stephen Toberoff. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Profitable Table, fed by Wilco Foods. I'm your host, Stephen Toberoff, and today I have a really special guest, someone that I always enjoy speaking to and, and someone I've learned a lot from. It's Paul Bazzini, who is the executive chef and co-creator of Hearth and Tap Restaurant in Montvale, New Jersey, 125 North Kinderkamek Road. Very special restaurant and a very special person. And Paul, thanks for taking the time to talk with me today. Oh, Stephen, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. What I'd like to do, Paul, to get started is if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved as a chef and, and ultimately your involvement with Hearth and Tap. Sure, no problem. Well, like a lot of people say, I kind of grew up in and around food, had some influential family members that were in the restaurant, hospitality, and bed and breakfast deli business, so from grandparents to cousins, and uh, all that had a big influence on me, always had a a real kind of closeness with food and, and hospitality. And it just kind of grew and nurtured as I got older and then took it to a professional level, first starting with uh, the Culinary Institute of America and then lots of internships and traveling around and um, lots of positions. And just one of the advantages of being older is just lots of uh, experience. And how did you transition from someone with that background from the Culinary Institute and the other internships? What was the impetus that led you to go in and, and create and open your own restaurant? So this restaurant is the product of a lot of planning and kind of the the vision of a whole bunch of people that we really wanted something that we would enjoy going to as a customer all of us here involved have owned uh, a lot of things in the past and have had a, a lot of success and interesting backgrounds, but we wanted to really put something together here that was going to be what we enjoy and what, where we like to go. Mm. And we get a lot of industry people here, lots of chefs and restaurateurs and managers and mixologists. They're here on their own time on a regular basis. That's a big uh, compliment to us. And so what we were looking for is we wanted something where people could come and have great food and great drinks and a really cool atmosphere, and they could do it a couple times a week, or they could do it once a month where they could sit for hours, or they could come in and have a flatbread and a great drink and be on their way. One of the really cool things about your restaurant that I've noticed, because I, I follow you on Instagram, it's a great Instagram page, and just knowing your menu and knowing you, is you. Your, your menu is really exceptional from a business standpoint because you can go there and have a full multi-course meal. 
You can go there and have drinks and enjoy the flatbread, as you said. When you designed the menu, was that something in mind, or did it just sort of evolve that you had all these different offerings and they just lent themselves to several different types of dining or hospitality experiences? We really wanted to be different. We really just wanted to have it be something that was truly a sustainable and traceable uh, menu where we would be partnering with great vendors like yourself that would supply us with great, fresh, innovative products that we could then turn around and, and put the final stamp on. And we wanted it to be approachable. One of the commitments that we had made when we were in the pen and paper planning about everything was that no entree would ever be over $25. And four years later, we still are true to that, that no entree is over $25. Mm. I mean, it's really great from a business standpoint because nowadays, I think the experience of going out and being in an environment is almost more special and more at a premium than it was 10, 20 years ago due to social media. And so to have a menu and to have a dining experience that lends itself to a multitude of different sort of options for people is just really smart from a from a business standpoint. The other thing that I have a lot of respect for what you do, and I wanted your thoughts on it, is you guys I know have a very loyal following, and I know you guys have a great reputation in the industry. And even with that, you're constantly adding and modifying and giving your customers new offerings, whether they be different cocktails or different options on the dining menu. That, to me, is very courageous, and a lot of people try it and don't execute properly, and you've done it, and it's been just such a tremendous success. What motivates you to do that? Because so many times, and and I don't think there's anything wrong with it, and I'm sure you could even think of many places yourself, Paul, where you have restaurants, they have a great following, they have a great menu, they stick Mm -hmm. to their knitting. But you're, I don't want to say pushing the envelope, but you're bringing new stuff every day, which is a testament to you as a chef. And it, I just think it's terrific. But what were your thoughts going into that? Was that a decision you made at the inception of Hearth and Tap? Is that something you do to just sort of test yourself? Or what's the thinking behind all your new offerings? Well, everything in the planning stage, you have what you think is going to happen. And then for the most part, a lot of times it goes in a totally different direction. And things that you think are going to be a home run are going to work sometimes don't. And something out of nowhere comes and is a, is a big success. So I think listening listening to your customers and listening to your staff and listening to the feedback and being open to be able to take some constructive criticism and also at the same time being very strong to yourself of your commitment of what you want to do and to not constantly change because you think that you need to do that. Sometimes you have to kind of find a balance between just staying true to what you want to be, and you know that your customers will follow suit. And not everybody can be everything to everybody. So we pretty much have half of our menu is going to be constant. And then the other half, we're constantly changing. We're very seasonal driven in very close contact with vendors like yourself of finding out what's coming in, what's going to be a new trend, what's going to be like a new product, produce, all kinds of things. And that helps to really write the narrative of a lot of what we do here as well. One of the things that you do exceptionally well and that I appreciate, because you and I speak often and I, I have appreciated the insights you've given me into my business. And I know that you're somebody who is incredibly open-minded and loves information. And because 
part of the listening audience of this podcast are people who either aspire to open restaurants or they're people who have restaurants and may not be succeeding at the level of hearth and tap or, or looking to learn from you. One thing I do want to discuss, which we had even alluded to in an earlier conversation, is the ways that chefs and restaurateurs and mixologists can leverage their relationship with their vendors so that the vendor becomes a value-added benefit, almost like a quasi, I don't want to say partner, but somebody that you can utilize to enhance your business operations and your customers' experience. And would you share some of the ways that you've done that? Because I think it would be of great value to people who are just starting out or people who plan on going into this industry, and they may not know all the various ways you can do that. Well, that's a great point you raised, Stephen, and we have had some great conversations about that in the past. But simply put, the way I really look at it is, and what has really worked for me, is that it. think of it as a as a triangle with the three points. And the three points are the customers, the staff, and the vendors. And they all are equally as important. And you can't have you can't have one without the other two. And it just doesn't work and it would implode. So having a very good relationship with the vendors is very important. Getting to know the vendors, getting to where a vendor like yourself knows intimately a lot of what we do here, takes an interest in what we do. And in a large part, shares in our success. And if we hit a bump in the road, you're there with us to help get through it. And it's very important. And cultivating a great staff, promoting from within, mentoring to the staff, taking interest you know, in the staff, and really trying to be like a role model for them to push and drive them. As much as I push and drive myself every day, I do that first. But then I always try to inspire the staff to be a part of the process, to not just follow orders, but to be involved, to come up with ideas, to offer solutions, and things along that nature. And of course, the customers. I mean, you have to take care of your guests and treat them as you would want to be treated. What I really appreciate about what you're saying is people that have been to your restaurant and people that can look it up, you can tell that the cuisine is cutting edge and is as high a level as you can get in this area. But the focus on the staff and the focus on the vendor relationships are things that I think a lot of restaurateurs, particularly those that are just getting started or those who aspire to be in this business, forget about. Because as I often say, Paul, and I'm curious what your thoughts are, if someone goes to a restaurant and they have a phenomenal interaction with the hostess and the wait staff and the bartender and everyone there makes them feel comfortable, they will overlook something that didn't go perfectly well either with their meal or with the drink. But if you go to a restaurant and even if the food is phenomenal, if you don't feel that you had a great experience with the people that you're interacting with, the odds of you going back are very low. And I think that working with staff, training staff, embodying the culture that you want in your restaurant is so vital to be profitable and long-lasting in this industry. And I don't think it's stressed enough. That's something that I see time and time again. I'm curious if you would agree with that or, or what your thoughts are. Oh, I would a thousand percent agree with that. You, you hit the nail on the head. And just even from my own experience, when I go out with my wife or with my, my children, to places we like to go to, we're not looking for things for free. We're not looking to be fold all over. But it's nice where they remember you. Hello, how are you? Yes, I'm in the industry, so people know me more than the average person that isn't in the industry. But it is very important to recognize the customer, to remember some of their likes and their not likes. That will really go a long way. If you can remember a table that a customer likes to sit at and sit them there just automatically or 
bring them their drink or if they know they want to take their time or if they know they want to go fast. And if something goes wrong, and listen, things do go wrong. We try to minimize it, but things do go wrong. It's to just take ownership up of it, make it light of it. I'm sorry, you know, we messed up. What can we do? We'll make it right for you. People will forgive really anything when you do that. I, I couldn't agree more. And the other point that you made, which is really important, particularly for people that are just starting out, is you have to realize when you open your own restaurant or bar or if you're managing one that your vendors are there to support you. They're not there to superimpose their rules and their way of doing business on you. If they're doing that, you're not in the right relationship because this is a service. And, I, and I'm talking about my business now, Wilco, sure. and, and certainly how it interacts with the people that I have the pleasure of doing business with. I view myself as there to be a value-added benefit to those customers that we have the honor of serving. And you don't do that by putting your rules and the way you want things done and what you need on top of them. It's got to be the other way around. And I think a lot of new chefs who haven't spoken to people who are either industry veterans or who haven't had the experience of, of meeting with different types of vendors, they kind of feel that they have to deal with one of three or four guys and they have to follow their rules and they have to redo their entire business to accommodate that. And I'm telling you, you don't. And the soft costs associated with doing that can be very damaging to your business. You know what I mean, Paul? Oh, absolutely, Stephen. And again, you're right on the money with that in terms of with the vendors. It's, it's very important. And, it, and it's really not that complicated. When you have great vendors like yourself, like with Wilco, you partner together. And part of our responsibility is to pay our bills, pay our bills on time, have that always be taken care of. That's going to then give you, the vendor, the ability to, to take care of us, to be able to give us the service, not be chasing us for payment and, and worrying if, you know, if we're going to close our doors or whatnot. And that's where ego gets involved. A lot of guys think, you know, they've had some notoriety, have a few accolades, and that's all great. I know I have them, and I, I'm blessed and appreciative for them, but I don't hang my hat on them. You know, every day is a new day. You have to be an operator. You have to be smart. You have to run your business. And you have to value your vendors, and they will then take care of you. And the big broadline vendors, again, like you said, it's their rules. It's a, a lot of bureaucracy. We only hear for a very long time in other projects. We use privately owned family businesses, things that have a history, um, things that have a story. And those are really important for us. And um, a vendor like yourself, you're one vendor, but you supply us with hundreds, thousands of products that you're allowing me to bring into my doors. So that's a little bit of what I'd say about that. Well, for me on another level, and I appreciate what you said, Paul, but like working with a, a restaurant like Hearth and Tap, and I will tell you, we have a few thousand customers. We're blessed to have a few thousand customers and they're great. I can't think of any customers and I, I'm not flattering you. That's not what this is about. This is about the fact that the way you run your business has forced me and Wilco to up our game, which I love. Because when you're dealing with chefs and operators that are looking for the newest items that are on trend or are changing their menus a lot, or are sometimes, in fact, oftentimes exposing us to products, trends, things in the market that we're not aware of, we can then take that information and get better ourselves. And that's the other aspect of the relationship that I really think restaurants and, and bars and others need to look for. You want it to be a dialogue with your vendor because when it's a dialogue, you're going to be getting the vendor to service you in a way that's best suited for your business. But conversely, you're going to be pushing them 
so that maybe the next time there's a new trend or something that occurs, they can share that information with you and that everybody's working to push themselves and get better because the restaurant industry is very competitive. It's an art form. And I just love learning. And that was something you said to me too. And when I always never forgot it about, look, when your guys come, have them show me something. I like to be pitched new things. I like content. I mean, it's one of the reasons why you're so successful, but it forced me to say, okay, what additional content can I make available or additional offerings can I make available? So you're right. When the vendor is doing their job, there's a lot of value added benefit for the restaurant. And for those vendors that are listening, there's a tremendous amount of information from the customer. Absolutely. I mean, it is a partnership and vendors like yourself where it is great to be able to go to you guys and to be able to say like, okay, you know, I'm looking to do X, Y, or Z. Given that our business model is that we have a price point that we don't want to exceed, there are I don't want, I don't like the word limitations, but there are some parameters that I have to work within. So it pushes us to use a lot of like different products, the things that maybe may not be as glamorous as, you know, caviar and fargoa. And they have a place on our menu as well, but they maybe play a supporting role where we can financially afford to be able them to be part of a dish, but they may not be the main part of the dish, but it gives that, that accent. And so using like braised cuts and, and different cuts of meat and lamb shoulders as opposed to lamb rack and things along that nature, uh, humble or vegetables like Brussels sprouts and cauliflower, they really are canvases that can be transformed into pretty awesome things. And that's what we push ourselves here to do on a daily basis. And, uh, you know, I think we do a pretty good job at it. Another thing that's becoming incredibly important in this industry, and I I look at yours a lot, is social media. And your Instagram page in particular, your stories and your feed, you do such a great job of, A, you get such a feel of what Hearth and Tap is like, but you also include some really great actionable information that would motivate somebody to come into your restaurant that day, either because you're sharing a new menu item or you're sharing something that might be on special, but then you have other posts where you're showing what you're doing in different environments. How much thought do you put into the social media? Because I find that the ones that have the best social media are the ones that are doing it organically, but then I speak to other customers that are very tactical and, and they also do a good job. What are some of your thoughts about how you guys use social media and how you view it as part of the overall landscape of what you do in terms of sales and marketing? So truth be told, we pretty much don't, do a calculated campaign of social media. We do have a marketing and advertising agency that helps us with some of our print and digital media, but that's more of like announcements and whatnot. But in terms of like Facebook and Instagram, and Instagram was particularly for the food and whatnot, I look at it as it's kind of like a window. It's a little bit of a a window into our world. Um, it's pretty much 100% organic. It can come from guys rolling fresh pasta or filling ravioli or making up bananas and we'll take some shots or we'll add some graphics or, you know, I'm sauteing or searing something and we kind of like do that. We try to add some fun taglines to it and we try to just, you know, have fun with it. And, and sometimes, you know, it's 10 o'clock in the morning that a great shot will come up and sometimes it's 10 o'clock at night and we just try to really just have it just be or an organic little window into our world, and hopefully people enjoy it. You know, there's an interesting trend that I've observed from my side of the table, and I think Hearth and Tap fits in perfectly to it, which is the following. I'm hearing more and more, and we have customers from Philadelphia to Connecticut, but our big concentration is in the New York City, New Jersey area. 
And one of the trends that's been going on, and I think it's only going to accelerate a lot in the coming months and years, are people who live in New York getting into their car and going out to New Jersey for a special meal. People, believe it or not, are leaving New York to get out of the city and they want to go somewhere. And the, the food scene in New Jersey is so fantastic. And your restaurant in particular lends itself so beautifully to that trend for the reasons that we discussed, the ambiance, the change of the cuisine. This is something that's in the early stages, but I'm wondering if you've seen glimmers of it yet because I think it's going to be happening in a huge way. I think that the foodies are going to New Jersey because there's so much great dining going on in New Jersey that there's a reverse commute thing going on on the weekends where people are saying, you know what, let's get out of the city, let's take a drive to Montvale or take a drive wherever and try this spot. I'm curious your thoughts. I'm so glad you raised that because this is a subject that's kind of um, close to my heart. Having owned restaurants and worked as a chef in New York City for many years, New York City is, you know, New York City. My son opened up here with me. He is a chef himself. And after three years, he um, he's down in Brooklyn at a Michelin star restaurant getting some of that exposure to that world and in that experience. And we see a lot of the Brooklynites. We see a lot of the Manhattanites do coming out this way. And it's something that I'd never really liked about New Jersey restaurants, marketing themselves as saying, well, we're a New York style restaurant, but you're in New Jersey. So be a New Jersey style restaurant. We're the Garden State. We have unbelievable farms. We have unbelievable farm stands, a little mom and pops and big, big places to go if you want to seek them out. It's a lot of work. It's a passion, and it is a great resource here. And we have just as many farmer's markets that New York has. And they're all leaving New Jersey to go into New York to set up their tents and whatnot. So I love that you bring up the New Jersey um, dining scene. Uh, It's something that I'm very proud of, and I think that we do not need to be the shadow of New York City. I couldn't agree with you more, Paul, that there really is an authentic New Jersey cuisine And there are many aspects of New Jersey. You mentioned the great produce, and everybody knows about the tomatoes. But there's just something about getting in your car and heading north, and you get over that bridge. And for a New Yorker, it feels like you're in the country. And New Jersey has so many great small towns. And for people like yourself with the authenticity and just saying, hey, this is who we are, and we're going to really give you a New Jersey dining experience— I think a lot of people from New York want that, and I think that's a trend that's going to really heat up because people who live in the city, they want to get out. And that whole experience, if you get in the car, you make the drive, you enter Hearth and Tap, there's no restaurant experience that you can have in New York, none, that equals what it's like driving on a fall day to reach your restaurant, going in there, feeling the warmth of that environment. But even we're in Jersey City, and the Jersey City scene is exploding as well. And there's an authenticity to that there. I mean, I would say the finest Indian cuisine that you can get in this area has now come to Jersey City. There was a great article written about that in Eater Magazine. So it's a trend, Paul, that I think is going to really heat up because people who are foodies, they're coming to New Jersey specifically as a destination spot. It's not just the other way around. A lot of people in New Jersey are staying in New Jersey, too, to eat. It's true. And some of uh, the realities of economy and, and rents and whatnot have a little bit to do with that as well. And also raising families and schools in New Jersey and then having your business be here, it's um, it has an advantage as well. Great, I love the scene of the opening scene of The Sopranos, you know, Tony Soprano's in his car and he's got his radio playing. He comes out the Lincoln Tunnel and then it's just all like these um, shots of New Jersey. New Jersey has 
has all the neighborhoods like New York has. And we have Little Italy, you know, you want to call it Hoboken. We we have Chinatown, you know, call it Palisades Park and Fort Lee. We have great restaurants here. We have um, all kinds of ethnicities and restaurateurs and chefs that have backgrounds. And uh, there's a lot of beauty out here. And there's a lot of uh, really, really good restaurants. There really is. And I was born and raised in New York City. And my wife and I moved out to New Jersey. Um, it was in 2000 and... I think it was 2008. And I drive around the state of New Jersey a lot because one of my sons is very into basketball and we're playing. And there are so many, I mean, you, you go to some of these towns, I, I could rattle them off. There's dozens of them. And coming from New York and living in that urban environment, you're in like this other type of small town environment, but there's an urbanity to it. And there's nothing like it. And it is so refreshing and it's great. And I think a lot of people from New York are experiencing that. I think it's going to continue. One of the questions I, I wanted to ask you, because I think that a lot of the listeners would benefit for your thoughts on this, for new chefs that are starting out and they, you know, they've had a few jobs, they've had a few internships, and they're thinking about opening their own restaurant, whether by themselves or in partnership, what would you say are some of the top one, two, or three things that they should absolutely get right from the beginning that are foundational for them to be successful and, and be profitable and sustainable for the long haul? Well, things that were instilled to me from an early on age, and my grandfather being a very prominent chef, is to really learn your craft and to really know your craft and to know your skills and to become very uh, adept at your craft. Now, being the father of, of a chef as well, who is very, uh, Andrew was very accomplished in his own way. Uh, he was a the protege of mine, but he's also works for many other prominent chefs. He's working for a great chef, Greg Backstrom at Olmsted and Michelin Star Restaurant in Prospect Heights in Brooklyn right now. And, you know, of course, at 26 years old, he's got the bug to open up his own restaurant. And my advice to him, my son, or to a stranger, or one of your listeners, Stephen, is to just, is to be patient, is to really know your craft, work for, really seek out great operators and great restaurateurs and great business people and quality people and write letters, bang on doors, you know, send emails, text and get in with them and, and learn from them. And it's an education that's free because you're learning from their experiences. You're learning from, from their wisdom and to, and to be patient and to be patient. Do not rush to go out and prematurely try and open up something. You're always going to be learning. You're always going to uh, have pluses and minuses, but to be patient and to really know your craft and to really take your time to really work on your skills. I think that's an excellent point because there's an enormous amount of glamour around the restaurant business, you know, going back to the movie Casablanca and Rick's. But when you, when you think about it, you know, it really is a business where the backbone is attention to the details, the fundamentals, the customer experience. And you're right. When you have an opportunity to work with the best and learn from the best, you should do that rather than rush it. The other thing which I was going to say, Paul, is coming from the background you know that you have and all the different experiences you had, what would you say is the single best lesson you learned from one of your mentors or one of the chefs that you worked with that stays with you to this day? Well, I mean, really the basics. I mean, really to be true to yourself, to be honest, to not cut corners, to own up to your mistakes, failures, and myself included, we've had them, and to learn from them, embrace them, make them be your friend and not your enemy, and to to know that you don't have to hit a home run every time you get up 
to the plate, but that you just need to just really be true to yourself and true to your coworkers and to just try and be the best person that, that you can. And that will really create an environment that success can come from. I've learned that from a lot of great mentors that I've worked for. And, uh, I preach that to, to my son and to my staff and to, you know, partners, everyone is that we just really need to do the best that we can and to really try to push that bar higher, a little bit higher each day. One of the themes that's come up a lot in our conversation, and it comes up a lot for me when I speak to great operators, is the notion of authenticity and being true to yourself, as you were saying. And in this world we're in now with Instagram and people are able to curate their experience, the ones that last are the ones that are authentic and true to themselves because that's what people are looking for when they go to a restaurant. It's an art form. They're looking for a real connection. And the connection starts with the creator and their authenticity. And it comes through in the food, it comes through in the decor, it comes through in every aspect of it. And I couldn't agree with you more. I think it's so important to focus on living up to your own standards first rather than going out there and trying to put your finger to the wind, see what's popular, and replicate or create that, because then you're missing the authenticity and the internal passion. You know what I mean? Absolutely, because what works for one operator may not work for another operator, and if that's a style and a, and a manner that works in one establishment, that doesn't mean that you should, you know, you can look to that for inspiration, you can look to that for some ideas and whatnot, but you want to stay true to yourself. You don't want to always be going and just trying to copy out what, what you think someone else is doing because it's, it seems to be working for them. People will, people want to go to somebody for what they have to offer. You know, I go to places on my own time for what they have to offer. That's what makes me get in my car and pass a lot of places to go to that one place. And I, and I think that that's what people really need to stay focus on is that they need to be able to say, this is what I am and this is what I'm not. And it's as important to know what you're not as it is to know what you are. So true. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. This has been a very special interview. And I just want to say, I've I've said this to many people that are customers of mine and people I know that live in New York. For people who live in New York, especially, I'm I'm going to say especially chefs and people in the restaurant industry, but this goes for anybody. I really encourage you to go to Hearth and Tap because not only are you going to get a great dining experience and great ambiance and decor, but I think what you've created there is so special and so unique. I think it'll be appreciated by anybody, but I really think it's going to be appreciated by people who are in the restaurant business in New York City because the things that you're doing there are a lot of great creative things with the drinks and with the food. It's absolutely worth the trip. You know, one of my hobbies is reading, and you always hear things about, like Saul Bellow, the Nobel Prize winning writer. They say he right. was a novelist's writer. He was a writer's writer. You know what I mean? Well, sure. you are you are a chef's chef, Paul, and what you created there in Hearth Thank and you. Tap is something that I really encourage those of my friends and uh, customers in New York to get out there and try. And this was great, Paul. I really appreciate your time again. It's Hearth and Tap Restaurant. It is on 12, it's at 125 North Kinderkamick Road in Montvale, New Jersey. And you can find him on Instagram at Hearth and Tap Co. This was great, Paul. Yes, it was really thank great. Thank you so much. And, uh, you know, we just love doing uh, the everyday business with you guys and uh, going through 
everything that it takes for you, your company to support us and to, uh, you know, help us to be able to do, you know, what we do. So, um, I, you know, well, for me, I'm really honored to be involved with a restaurant such as yours and someone who's on the cutting edge and such a great chef de cuisine. Again, Paul, creator, head chef, Hearth and Tabco, <laughs> yep. Paul Bazzini, this has been great. And I thank you. And for those people who own restaurants, you've got to get out there. If you're thinking about opening a restaurant or you want to be a chef or anything, this is an interview to listen to again and really take some notes on because the lessons that Paul shared with us can last you for your entire career. But the best lesson would be to go out and see firsthand what he's created there because um, I don't think there's anything that you could say is identical to it and it's unique and to find something unique in this day and age is very special. So Paul, thank you and have an awesome, awesome day. Thank you, Stephen. You do the same. Well, that was a great interview with Paul Bazzini. I always enjoy speaking with Paul, and I'm glad that I could share with you one of our conversations. He is just a phenomenal operator, a phenomenal chef. And uh, this is the point where I always share a book recommendation, and I want to first of all thank the people who have been emailing me their book recommendations and things that they like, um, which I would like you to do as well. You can email me at Foods www.wolcofoods.net or you can go to our Instagram page at Foods and DM me. If you enjoy this podcast, I would love it if you subscribe and you could share it with your friends. We've been getting such great feedback from people who are in the industry, but now I'm starting to get some responses from people who are not owners, operators, mixologists, but just love the food industry. So I really appreciate all of you listening and if you enjoy it, subscribe and share with your friends. The book recommendation that I want to share this week is a book called Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. The reason I want to share this book is because it really is a book about the passion and the heart associated with building a company. In the case of Shoe Dog, it's Nike, but the lessons would apply to any business you want to build. This is a great book. Uh, it's a book that stays with you both from a business standpoint and just from the perspective of a memoir or biography. So that's my recommendation. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, if you have any book recommendations for me, please share them with me at www.wolcofoods.net. DM me at Wolcofoods on our Instagram account. You can email me at steven at wolcofoods.com. And again, thank you for listening and have an awesome week, everybody. Thank you for listening to The Profitable Table, fed by Woolco Foods. Please be sure to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. And to learn more about Woolco Foods or Stephen Toberoff, please visit us at woolcofoods.net.